Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Starting a brand new series today called Open Doors. Revelation chapter 3 is where I want to go this morning as we kind of jump into that. And again, back in December, I felt like the Lord just kind of spoke this word into my heart as, as the world begins to reopen from this pandemic and people are starting to feel a little more comfortable about getting out and doing things. There's going to be good opportunities. There's going to be great opportunities. There's going to be a lot of opportunities. How do I know which doors are the right doors for me to walk through? How do I know which opportunities are the right opportunities? And so this morning, we're going to do the last book of the Bible. It's right before you get to maps, all right? And it's the book of Revelation. It's singular. It's not Revelations. It's Revelation. Only no S on it. And so this is a book that was written by, we believe to be John, the disciple of Jesus, okay? Who was one of Jesus' closest disciples. He was very old in his age. He actually was in prison at the time that he had this revelation and the book of Revelation is eschatological. I don't know what it means. It just makes me sound really smart, right? Eschatology is the study of the end of history. So the bulk, the majority of the book of Revelation is about the end time events. But the first three chapters in the book of Revelation are for the present day when John was alive. And it was a, it was a message that Jesus wanted to encourage. And it oftentimes correct some of the churches that were then moving and functioning. And, and so there were the seven churches of Asia. And when we think Asia, we think about China, Taiwan, Japan. It, it's, not, it's not that Asian continent. Actually, in the Greek empire, there was a state. We would call it a state, but it was more of a province that was named Asia. Today, it would be modern Turkey. And there were seven churches of Asia, not to be confused with China and, and, and the Asian continent that we know today, it was the province of Asia in the Greek empire. And, and so I want to look at one of the churches that God spoke to. And he spoke to the church at Philadelphia. Again, not to be confused with Philly, you know, what a home of the Eagles. I don't even know how they talk. I just thought that would work, right? Just to clarify, this is not Philadelphia in Pennsylvania as you're reading through. Philadelphia, oh my gosh, is George Washington in the Bible? That's not a thing, right? This is Philadelphia in the Greek Empire a little less than 2,000 years ago. Okay, so Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 is where I want to start. And this is the message to the church of Philadelphia. And it's a little bit unique compared to the other churches that Jesus spoke to at the beginning of Revelation. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. <laughs> Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true. Every time Jesus spoke to one of the churches, he identified himself in a way that they would recognize. He identified himself uniquely. And he's saying this message is from the one who is holy and true, the one that has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. That part of that verse, he's actually quoting an Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. So Jesus, when he's talking to the church at Philadelphia, he goes and borrows something from the Old Testament. I'll, I'll dive into that here in just a second. Then verse eight, he says, I know all the things you do, to which some of you are like, uh-oh, <laughs> it's not good. Like last Friday, you know that? He says, I know all the things you do, 
And I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you've obeyed my word and you did not deny me. I know you're tired. I know you've been through a hard season. I don't know if it was pandemic hard. I don't know what all the, the, the church at Philadelphia have been through, but he's saying, listen, I'm watching. I know all the good you've done when nobody was applauding. I know all the things you suffered when nobody was celebrating. I know the things that you've done. I know what you've been through has been hard and difficult. And listen, you had little strength, but yet you stayed strong. You remained faithful. You obeyed my word and you did not deny me. Then he goes on to encourage them. And what's interesting about Jesus in his message to the church in Philly is he doesn't correct them. It's unique because the other six churches get a little bit of a pat on the back and then he says, but there's one thing I have against you. You guys need to get your stuff together. You got some things going on. You need to correct. But to the church at Philadelphia, all he speaks is encouragement. All he does is just kind of celebrate who they are, the opportunities they have and what they've been through. Okay? And so the city of Philadelphia was absolutely a beautiful It was actually named Little Athens. I'll explain why. But Athens was just this, you know, beautiful city that was the kind of the head of the Greek empire, if you will. And so the the nickname of Philadelphia was Little Athens. That's how beautiful it was. Cities sometimes have little nicknames. You know what I'm saying? Like Tulsa is is nicknamed the construction capital of the world. Can I get an amen? You know, Austin, Texas is nicknamed the septic tank. You know, I'm rolling with that. Okay, I thought that was funnier. Beyond Philadelphia, it's kind of the last stop in the road. So beyond Philadelphia was just this vast, what they thought to be barbaric people. It was kind of uncivilized, you know, they didn't sip their tea, they gobbled, you know, they didn't know what to do with their pinky when they're holding a teacup. You know, they didn't know the difference between T-O and T-O-O. You know, their women didn't know how to princess wave. They are an uncivilized people. All they would say is roll tide. I mean, it just, they were just not civilized people. And so, the, see, I can get you to laugh when I make fun of Alabama, right? The Greeks thought they were uncivilized and needed culture. So that's why Philadelphia was born. It was a missional city that they put it here kind of as an outpost that they wanted to bring Greek culture and let it just spread through all of this barbaric land, if you will. Some of those barbarians would never travel to Athens. They would never see Greece itself. So they wanted them to be exposed to some of that culture. So it was strategically placed as a mission outpost. Like they had opportunities there to reach people with the Greek culture. And so they placed it on this highway that would be almost like the last stop, you know, the last gas for 423 miles. You know, it was strategically placed along this highway as people would be going through the Asian continent. Anybody, when you, when you go into Dallas, if, if you've been to Dallas, anybody ever stop at Bucky's? Come on, you know what I'm saying? The Beaver Place, I guess some, I was corrected because in first service I kept calling them Bucky Nuggets, but they're Beaver Nuggets, those things. Like manna in the book of Exodus, I imagine that is probably what Beaver Nuggets tasted like. They so good, you know? And so like if you're going to Dallas and you're driving, and I've never heard of Melissa, Texas. I had no idea. I mean, I've heard of Bucky's. But that's, Melissa, Texas is probably the closest Bucky's location to us. And just driving along, you're like, what in the beef coon Wally world is that? You know what I'm saying? It's driving and, and it's like a gas station with barbecue and all this type of stuff. And so it's strategically placed on the highway where all of us 
Okies that don't have buckies. I mean, they're trying to spread bucky culture into Oklahoma, to which we would say, y'all just come on. We'll take some beaver nuggets. We are good with it. Back in the 90s, uh, Eskimo Joes in Stillwater. That was cool, you know? Remember, like, to have an Eskimo Joe shirt, that, that was a thing. And, if, of course, I was in college, and I used to go to Eskimo Joes. There'd be pictures of people all over the globe that had on Eskimo Joes. Now you can get them wherever, but back in the 90s, that was a thing. This is what Philadelphia was designed to do. It was designed for people who were going on over to actual the, the Asian continent, or they going up to Europe, that they could stop, they could get themselves some beaver nuggets, they could get a Eskimo Joe shirt, they could get some Greek culture, and then take it on into the uncivilized region. It was a missional city designed to spread the mission of Greek culture. So let me look at verse 8. When he grabs that Old Testament prophecy, Jesus is describing himself. In the NIV, he says, I know your deeds. I say, I'm watching. I know. Listen, whatever you're going through, sometimes you can feel so alone. Like God's just saying to you today, I know. I know what you're going through is really hard. I know what you've been through is, is painful. I know. I know how you've responded. You've done the right thing when nobody was watching. And then the NIV says, see. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you've got little strength, yet you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. Today I want to take a look at that verse and I want to talk about open doors. He says, I know you're deep. In the, in the, the New Living, it misses something. I, mean, I, I normally read out of the New Living. I preach out of the New Living. I think it's written probably in, in today's best flow of English. But I'm always looking at other translations. I'm always, I even like to go back to, to the languages, if you will, and so as I, as I was looking at this, I just felt like the New Living missed something. The New Living says it this, I know all the things you do and I've opened a door before you. No one can close. Okay, it catches the idea of you're a city with great opportunity. You're a city that a lot of people come through and stop and, and, and you can share the gospel. As they're spreading the Greek culture, you can spread the Jesus culture too. As they're taking Greek civilization, you can take the name of Christ along. But it catches the essence of that, that I put a door for you, but, it, but it's missing something. The word see, that's important. The King James, the old original English says, behold, hark, right? Look, some translations have an exclamation point. It's that important. It's like Jesus is saying, don't miss this moment. Don't miss this open door of opportunity that I have placed in front of you that not everybody has. It's unique to you. Man, that's my desire. It's my desire for my life and for my family. It's my desire for you and for our church. I want to have the faith. I want to have the wisdom. I want to have the courage. I want to have the space in the margin of my life when God opens a door in front of me that's him. I want to be able to step through that. That's what this whole series is about. Is just trusting God to step through the doors that he opens for you. I don't want to miss a single door that God has for my life. Amen. I don't want to miss a door that he has for this church. So we got to find some faith. We got to find some courage to step into those moments. Behold, hark, look, I've got an open door. So how do I see? How do I know that that's the right door? How do I... How do I not miss those moments that God has for me? If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. You gotta stay focused. That's what Jesus is saying. Look, there's a lot of, like, 
I was ADD before they knew what ADD was, you know? And there's a lot of things that can pull our attention and, and, and get us chasing this. And, you know, oh, there's, oh, look at that, you know? And, and Jesus is saying, look, behold. Look, I've, look over here. I've got an opportunity for you. Catch the last part of verse eight. He said, you have kept my word and you've not denied my name. In a world full of Greek gods, in a world full of Greek mythology, you stayed focused. You stayed on point. This is not only about allegiance that you stayed loyal and true. This is you lived your life in a way that was faithful to the gospel. You lived your life in a way that when people looked at you, it was like a mirror and they saw Jesus. You were faithful and true. You lived as a Christian in a world of chaos, in a world of opportunities, in a world full of doors. How do I know what's the right door for me? I have to deal with distractions. I have to, I have to stay focused, right? I have to deal with those things that cause me to look over here or go over there. I've, I've got to deal with those distractions. And, and there's many. I just want to talk about some of them that are our big ones. First one is doubt. Doubt can be a huge distraction. It, doubt can cause me to lose focus. Fear, pretty similar, right? Well, this ain't going to work. This just ain't going to work. I can t I've been here before. I've walked through a door just like this, and on the other side was a trap door, and I fell into a big pit, and it hurt. I'm just telling you, this ain't going to work. And doubt and fear cause us to focus on our problems and not the potential of what God has for us on the other side of that door. I'm going to stay focused. Criticism. Criticism will cause me to lose focus. And maybe it's me. It just Probably because of social media, it just feels like criticism's a little bit escalated today. It's just like we just live in an uber toxic and, and critical culture, but criticism's not new. Matter of fact, criticism was a thing before Adam and Eve were a thing. Like before the creation of, of humanity, God had all these angels and these created beings, and he had three kind of archangels, if you will. One of them was a guy by the name of Lucifer. He wasn't a guy, he was an angel by Lucifer. That's like, God, oh, that's Satan. Yeah, he actually used to be a good guy. He used to be on the good team. But the story goes that he got to looking at God and he started to think, well, I can do a better job than he can. I'll set myself above him. That's pride, but he was being critical of God. So criticism existed before Adam and Eve were ever created in a thing. Jesus faced criticism. Nehemiah faced criticism. David, Abram, criticism's not new. It just kind of feels like it's escalated in our society but it stirs our emotions. Man, it gets me so fired up, man. It gets us off focus. We, instead, we're focusing on what was said or we're focusing on who said it and who did they say it to. And it, it gets us distracted off of the open door opportunity that God has for us. There have been times I get an email or a text message or I hear somebody said or somebody will tell me something and it's critical and it just fires me. Tasmanian, you know, and I, I can't, I can let, I can let my emotions get a little bit distracted. And then I go, Matt, you'll never believe it. And then he gets all fired up. Now there's two of us. And then whoever else is in my circle, man, you're not going to believe it. And so now instead of me sitting at my desk on point, on mission, on focus, doing the thing I need to be doing, I'm now distracted. And I've distracted Matt and I've distracted Will and I've distracted Joe and anybody else that's in my circle. And so criticism, it stirs our emotions and it causes us to lose focus. We've got to stay 
focused. When criticism comes from a critic, you ignore the donkey. When criticism comes from a coach, I need to listen. I know, what's the difference? I ask myself, okay, so what's the difference? What's the difference? How do I know if somebody's a critic and if somebody's a coach? Listen, a coach wants you to win. People who love you, people who've invested in you, people who've worked with you, given their life to help you, people that want you to win, that's a coach. A critic is just a donkey. And I heard this story years ago. I've robbed it. I've used it a ton. Many of you have already heard this story. It ministered to me as any good donkey story should minister to somebody, you know? This pastor was talking, he was out in a, in a village in the bush in Africa. And this village had just got a water well. And, and we just don't understand. We need water, we go, Psh. somebody used all the hot water. You kids need to take shorter showers. You know, we don't understand when a village in a remote third world country doesn't have a well. It means they are walking hours. Many times kids cannot get an education because they're spending their days walking and getting water. Women spend their days walking with babies in tow, carrying water so they can wash dishes and cook and prepare for their kids. And so this village was living that story until somebody came along to help them to dig a well. And so this pastor, he's in this village, and the village leader is up there, and he's talking about how this well has just changed their future. Kids are going to be able to get educated and hopefully go on to secondary school or maybe even college and how it's going to change the life of this. And so right there where all the village people were just sitting and listening to this leader and he was just casting vision about what was next and the open door that was before them from about 50 feet from where he was talking, there was a donkey. And something got after that donkey. Now, my neighbors have a donkey. And sometimes in the middle of the night, that donkey does what donkeys do. And it, the best I know how to describe it, it sounds something like a screech owl being sacrificed by an expressive satanic cult. Good Lord, I mean, two o'clock in the morning, the hair on the back of your neck stands up, you know. And so this village leader is standing there and he's just sharing vision, you know. And he never misses a beat. He just keeps talking. He doesn't turn and look at the donkey. Now, I'm sure there's some donkey lovers in the crowd. Oh, my gosh, it needs a blanket. Somebody get this thing some donkey fodder. You know, what's my wife would be, go fix that donkey. I don't know how to fix a donkey. But the leader never lost his focus. He just kept sharing vision. Here's the moral of the story. Ignore the donkey. He said it differently. I'm going to clean it up. Ignore the donkey. Because critics are just donkeys. Coaches want to see you win. A lot of things can cause us to lose focus. One more, though, that's a, that's a big one. It's probably one of the biggest. Good things. Good things. One of the biggest enemies of great is good. Ah, looks good to me. But is it great? Yeah, that's good. But is it your best? Good opportunities many times can keep us from great things. And if anybody knows this, it's me. 
I mean, I'm preaching to myself. Y'all just get to listen for a little bit because I'm going to sit down, have a conversation with myself because I love me some good things that sometimes keep me from doing great things. I love, I love music. I love music. I love to play instruments. I love to just sit down at the piano and hack around. And, and one, one of, I'm going to confess a little bit here. You know, people love a genuine pastor. Okay, sometimes I stand in front of the guitar and still play air guitar and sing George Strait. I cross my heart and I just love music. I just do. And one of the, my problems as a musician, and, and I, again, I'm, your humility in this, I can play every instrument that's up here, okay? I just, when I was a kid, I just should have been doing my chores. I was playing instruments, right? But there is nothing up here on this stage that anybody has ever said, oh, wow, you have got to hear Brent play the drums. I mean, <laughs> people are like, like, you can't walk and chew gum at the same time. How do you do that? I don't know. You, know, you can play the piano? Huh. Wow. I mean, I've heard you sing. I thought you were tone deaf. I didn't know what you knew what right notes were or not. I don't know. I mean, that's the surprise I get. But there's nothing up here that is like, oh, my gosh, you have got to hear him play you know, the commodian. It is fantastic. It's awesome. I, it, it just... I always love doing new things. I love the adventures, and that's the way God wired me. But I could play a few instruments good, but there was never an instrument that I could just be great at. And the same is true for things in our life. There's so many good things that come along that maybe there's this one thing that God made you to be great at, but because we're not focused, because we get distracted, we miss our moment of great opportunities. I need some self-discipline in my life to stay focused on the door that God has in front of me. That, that it wants, he wants to lead me to the area where he made me be great. Stop knocking on every opportunity that, that comes along. Look, look at verse seven. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Philly. This is the message from the one who is holy and true. And then he grabs a prophecy out of Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. He says, the one who has the key of David. If you go look at Isaiah 22, 22, it, it, this is there. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. Jesus is going out of his way to reveal to John, it's really me. Like, you're not tripping. You know, I know you had some baklava for dinner last night. It's not indigestion making you think all this. It really is Jesus. It really is me. In his language, in the prophecy that he quotes from Isaiah chapter 22, he's saying, listen, this is really me. That prophecy says that, that King David had the keys to the kingdom. Because he was king, he wanted in a door, he could get in a door. If he wanted a door closed, he could close the door. And that prophecy was about the birth of the Messiah that would be Jesus that would happen years to come. Jesus is saying, listen, listen, listen. This is really, really me. This is the message from the one that's holy and true. I want to talk about the word true for just a second. Because there are two Greek words for true. The first one is true, meaning it's not false, right? I love those questions on tests, true or false. I got a 50-50 shot, you know, meaning it's true, it's not false. The other Greek word that we translate true is true, meaning not fake. It's the same, but it's different, right? Meaning 
It's real. It's genuine. Jesus is the OG, baby. You know what I'm saying? Behold, look, see. I have set before you an open door that no one can shut. I don't want to miss my door. So the second thing, I, I got to stay focused. I got to stay focused. Not that everything distract me. I got to stay focused. But secondly, I got to stay away from fake doors. I got to find the Jesus genuine doors. Amen. And so how do I know if a door is fake? How do I know if this is really God speaking to me? Because that's the issue with doors. Sometimes it's, it's I, I, well, I don't know. Or sometimes we, like, we love doors and we're going through all these doors the wrong one. So how do I know if this really is the opportunity for me this year? How do I know if this is the promotion God wants me to take? How do I know if this is the relationship God wants me to be in? How do I know if this is the real, true, genuine door that Jesus has for my life? I got five questions brought to you by the letter P and the number five for all my Sesame Street people. Okay? Where does it point? When I walk through this door, where is it going to take me? Is it going to lead me down a path that is good for my growth, good for my maturity, good for my life, good for my marriage, good for my family? Or is it going to take me down a path that's going to create chaos, cause me to spend more money than I've got to spend, going to keep me too busy so I can't focus on my priorities? I need to ask myself, where does this door point? Okay? Secondly, does it align with God's purpose? You are God's masterpiece. There are no mistakes in here. He created you for a purpose. Matter of fact, that's part of who we want to be as a church. Through all the years, I've had a lot of people that like living, but almost living without their God-given purpose. So many times we confuse our purpose for our paycheck. Your paycheck is not your purpose. God gave you a purpose and a plan and a destiny, and we as a church want to help you get there. One of the things we do is growth track step two, offered right after the service, to help you just discover. We do some fun stuff in there to help you discover what is my purpose for my life. Does this door align with God's purpose for my life? And I know this is going to be a little bit extreme of an example, right? But, but if you're married and you got 2.3 kids and a dog and a cat and a minivan and and so on and so forth, but yet this job and all of a sudden the company hires this cute new little girl and she starts batting her eyes and starts calling you work spouse and all that. That is not God's purpose for your life. Spoiler alert, that does not align with what God has for you. I don't need no work spouse. I got the real OG that God gave me. That rhymed, I didn't even realize it. That surprised me coming out of my mouth, man. That's cool. <laughs> is this door, this opportunity does it align with God's purpose and priorities for my life? Am I following the peace? Is there peace surrounding this door? I'm talking about in your belly. You know, I'm talking about in your spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to guide you and lead you. And sometimes he's going to put his thumb on something and, and you just... You're going to feel restless about it. You're not going to have peace. And then there's other times it's a big decision. It's a faith decision. And like, oh, oh, I don't know. But all the time through that, there's just this peace that surrounds them. Years ago when Jerry and I were first getting married, I, we, we moved to Baton Rouge. And I actually lived in Baton Rouge a couple of months before she, she got there. And my first house in Baton Rouge, I rented sight unseen. I just, you got one? Okay. I mean, it was close to my office, to the church where I was working. And so I made a deal over the phone, sight unseen, mailed her a check for the deposit and so on and so forth. And so I moved in. 
Apparently shag carpet's still cool in Louisiana. It's cool, it's fine. I tripped living about three or four weeks, man, in the middle of the night, I just woke up and my forehead was just stinging out. I'm like, I remember like two o'clock in the morning getting up and looking in the mirror and I had a baseball protruding out of my head like that. What in the Louisiana, you know? And so I started having flu-like symptoms and like I had a headache, I just didn't feel good. And I went to, went to work, I was on TV, imagine trying to cover that thing up, you know? And my coworkers were like, you need to go to the doctor. I mean, you got this baseball protruding out of your head. So I found a doctor, went in and, and visited him with him. And he's like, I don't know exactly what that is because you don't have whatever bit you with you. But he goes, if that's what I think it is, you would be the third brown recluse bite I've seen in my office today. Gosh almighty. Even to this day, 20 years later, it'll, the, the venom of that spider bite will still start to kind of fester up and I'll get these kind of scab looking things. I know it's nasty. Maybe I am Spider-Man. Maybe I am. I knew one thing. That sweet little girl wasn't going to move into a house of brown recluse spiders. And so I started looking. And so I'm like, I cannot move Jerry in here. So I, I, I found another rent house and I went and looked at it. And as I looked at that rent house, down three doors down, they were laughing and singing and having a party. No, I'm sorry. But there was just this beautiful little cute new house on the corner. Had a for sale sign. And I went in and stuck my head in. And next day called the realtor and went and looked at it. And I was like, oh, my girl, she's going to be, I'm like, my man, he bought me a new house. And I'm like, yeah, I did. And, I, and every step of the process, from the inspections to dealing with the realtor to dealing with the mortgage company, man, there was just something saying, don't do this. There wasn't any peace. But I had a baseball protruding out of my head. I remember driving to the closing place where I would close the loan on that house, sick to my stomach. And something on the inside, man, just, just pay whatever pays to get out of this. Just don't do this. And I pushed through anyway, even there was no peace. A few months later, September 11th, the terrorist attacks happened in New York City. Remember the economy just went And in and around that area, some homes had been built, but they were significantly cheaper, not the same quality as homes. And so the price per square footage on top of the economy falling, the houses just cost me $3,000 out of my own money just to sell that house. I didn't have, I didn't follow the peace in that situation. And the Holy Spirit, he knew something I didn't know. The Holy Spirit was, was trying to say, whoa, 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 whoa. He, he tried to protect me. Am I following the peace? What does it do to your pace? Do you even have room in your life to walk through this door? That's the biggest problem with doors. <laughs> Is, is sometimes we're too busy when the right door's open. I, I say this all the time. Sometimes they get used against me. When we say yes to one thing, I have to say no to something else so I can do that. If I say yes to buying this, I'm saying no to putting money in savings or buying something else or, or what have you. When we say yes to something, we're saying no to something else. And sometimes we need those opportunities to force us to make some decisions about our life. Sometimes. Sometimes we need new door opportunities so we can cut some other stuff out. That, that is true. Sometimes we're busy doing nothing of value. Sometimes our calendar is full of our own preferences. Our calendar is full of our own selfishness. And I'm not making a contribution anywhere to anything. Listen, God wants us to be 
generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure. But if I walk through this door, what's it going to do to the pace of my life? Is it going to add stress because I'm just trying to squeeze one more thing in that I don't have the room or I don't have the finances to do? What can I say no to so I can walk through this door? That's the am I trusting God's people? What do the positive voices around me say about this door? Am I trusting God's people? Remember coaches and critics, right? What about the people God has in my life that love me and are for me and, and, I, and I trust? Am I listening to God's people? So a couple months ago, my phone rang. What's a fun opportunity? It's a great opportunity to serve on a mission board for an organization that I've been affiliated with. I love. Man, and that, I was like, oh my God, man, I am so honored. You know, I was going to tell him no right then and there, but I said, okay, let me tell you what. Let me, let me, let me pray about it. And I did. I prayed about it for a couple of weeks, and I kind of talked to Jerry about it. And there's a dear friend of mine that was leading that, that board, and, and I didn't want to disappoint him. So I called him one day, and I was going to say, hey, man, thanks for the opportunity. Um, now's just not a good time. And we got to talking, and we were on the phone for about an hour. And I'll be dadgum. He's like, Brand, I sure could use your help. Man, we, we really... We need your input. Man, I, I could sure use you. Well, pfft, now he's got me because I love to be needed. Who doesn't love to be Superman? Yeah. My wo own words go screaming through my head, and it's not quiet. It sounds like a screeching donkey. You know, when you say yes to one thing, you have to say no to something else, right? If I'm going to do this, what am I going to say no to? And so I said, all right, let me call you back. Give me another week to pray about it. And I talked to Jerry. She's like, you know you're an all-in kind of guy. You don't do anything halfway. You know you can't help yourself. You're a fixer. You know you're going to jump in over your head helping them try to fix what's broken. Where are you going to find the time, the creativity, and the energy to do that? Sit down, went into Matt's office and closed the door. I kind of just talked about what I was wrestling with. And he said, man, you know I got your back. And whatever you decide, I'll help you. I'll support you. I'll help you figure out how to do that. But you know, when you say yes to one, I know, stop. God, I've heard that a lot lately. And that was a hard phone call to make. Because I don't ever want to disappoint someone. I want to be a fixer. I want to be a part of solutions. I want to help make things better. It was a door, it just wasn't the right door. It was a good opportunity, it just would, wasn't the, the great opportunity. So how do I know when a door is the real deal? How do I know when this is God opening a door of opportunity for me to step in and, and to lead me through? Where does it point? Where's this path gonna take me? Does it align with God's purpose for my life? Is there peace? Am I following the peace? What's it going to do to the pace of my life? And what are God's people that are in my circle that love me most and cheer me on and want to see me succeed? What are they saying to me? Behold, look, hark. <laughs> I've set before you an open door. God has opportunities for you in the coming months and days that no man can shut. 
I just want you to stay focused. Cut the clutter out. I want you to stay focused on the opportunities that God has for you. And I want you to know they're real. I want you to know they're, they're genuine. I, I don't want you to say yes to fake doors because sometimes the biggest enemy to great is I don't want you walking through fake doors. In, in the same chapter in Revelation chapter three, talking to a different church, Jesus talks about another door. He's now talking to the, the church at Laodicea. And, and just a few verses later, he, he says this, behold, look, see, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice, open the door, I'll come in. We will share a meal together as friends. There's a door on your heart that you have to open. And Jesus is, look, behold, I stand at your heart's door and I knock. And if you'll open that door, I'm going to step in and we're going to step into relationship and, and you will be in relationship with your God, your creator, like a friend. But you have to open the door to Jesus. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.